Welcome to Technory Podcast. I'm Scott Katoon. On today's show, we catch up with Brian Barnes. He's the CEO and founder of M1 Finance. Obviously, full disclosure, M1 is a sponsor of my show and newsletter. So uh, I have to put that out there. But as you all know, I've been using M1 far longer than they've been a sponsor. And I interviewed Brian several times well before the sponsorship. So to me, this is a conversation to learn a little bit about, I guess you could call it a postmortem on the entire madness that was the last two weeks with retail investors, Reddit, GameStop, AMC, uh, Wall Street Bets, the whole works. And, you know, I think if you listen to this, you're thinking, okay, here we go. Another person piling on, whether it's right or wrong, what Robinhood did, or whether it's right or wrong that Redditors can control the market that way, or that the short squeeze was stopped, you know, nefariously. That's not it. And honestly, while I do care, I almost don't care. What I am most interested in about this is what are the ramifications for retail investors like myself and you down the road? What does this mean for Robinhood and for M1? I kind of argue that I think this is great for M1. This is sheds a light on not just the, the, the value of a solid app that is for long-term investing, but it really sheds light on retail investors learning and educating on a couple of fronts. One, well, you have to take a loss. And I think if you talk to any successful entrepreneur, startup founder, or investor, they'll tell you that before you're going to find real gains and, and find your risk tolerance, you have to take a couple losses. And for some, they made out like bandits. And some others, probably others that are less fortunate to begin with, they lose their asses. And that's a problem. Um, but it's not a problem that, that needs solving. It's just a problem that, that people are going to have to go through that kind of experience, I think. Um, but it is a problem that companies like Robinhood are then thrust into the spotlight as maybe doing wrong. And Brian has his take and I have mine. And we both kind of agree for the most part that when you promise people a certain behavior out of your product, you have to deliver it. And in some regards, I think Robinhood fell short. I also don't think that it was nefarious act. I think they didn't have enough capital to cover. And Brian and I, where we disagree a little, and you listen to the show, you'll, you'll see why and where. And obviously, I think he wins. I mean, he's in this business. I'm just a, a gawker. But I, I look at Robinhood like I look at Facebook. You know what? I'm the customer. I'm the product. I'm all of it. And I'm just going to assume that when the shit hits the fan, uh, I'm not going to be on equal footing as the institutions. Just like when I advertise on Facebook and they decide to tinker with the algorithm, me as a small business owner, I just assume I'm going to lose. I don't assume they did it without consulting Disney. I don't assume they consult uh, me instead of Coca-Cola, who spends the most money with them. And the same is here. I, I don't assume that that I take precedence over Citadel. Now, it doesn't let them slow down traffic and slow down the sell-off to, to allow uh, the hedge funds to sneak out. And I don't think that's what happened. And, you know, Brian's argument here really is, is just that you got to deliver what you said you're going to deliver. And it's not, you, it shouldn't be on the retail investor to understand how the sausage is made. And I argue uh, one of the lessons that we are learning as a nation and as a world, a digital world, is that uh, the, the age old, if you don't know what the product is, you're the product. That, that's kind of the reality, right? So, you know, I think the Robinhood thing is a lesson for Robinhood. It's a lesson for, it's certainly a lesson for retail investors and even more so for hedge funders. I think they're going to have to look over their shoulder from now on. That's just my, my gut instinct. What I think is a net win for everyone though, is education, not just education on how to use the product like Robinhood or, or what happens when something like this happens. They, they certainly learned a lot and I think they'll, they'll change how they operate, but it's a lesson for all of us as investors. What is long-term hold versus short-term? 
why would we do both? Should we do both? Are they different? What's trading versus investing? I thought it was the same. Now, I didn't think that, but a lot of retail investors based on their actions did. You know, it's one thing to have 10 or 12, 15% of your disposable income go into an M1-like account. And there's plenty of them out there. I'm not just schlepping M1. Tasty Works, another Chicago company, uh, crushes this. There's, a, there's plenty. TD Ameritrade, yada, yada, yada. There's a bunch of them. But I think you need to have money that works for you long-term. That's hold stuff. And then there's money that you work with. And, and honestly, you should go into it expecting to lose it. And if you know what you're doing, then maybe you'll make with it. And I think that's what makes it exciting. I think as much as all the Reddit shit was a big to-do, I really think the volatility was what drew me in. It drew me in. I'm an investor. I spend a lot of time in these apps and, and investing in, in startups, investing in, in public companies, investing in anything, really. I'll, I'll gamble on it. If it's possible, I'll buy a sports card and flip it if I can make some money. But the thing that is different for me and these people is that I have a strategy. And I, I kind of, I, I follow it but the volatility got the best of me. I mean, it's what drew me in about crypto too. So like, no matter what my plan was, uh, I got attracted by instant, crazy volatility, huge gains. And I think as much as anything else, I think people got a taste for something crazy, something they experienced in 2017 when the, when the crypto markets were going nuts. And they jumped at it again because who doesn't like a little action? My thinking is those who lost out, uh, those who didn't participate, you know what? If you want to be an investor, FOMO can't be real. There's no such thing as ought. You have to just kind of move on from it and, and there'll be another chance for you. But if you put in and you lost, I got to tell you, I think you learned a lesson. I think you learned a little bit about your risk tolerance. You learned how much you should and shouldn't put in. I think you learned a little bit ri about riding the pony, what it's like, what the race is like. I think it was a good thing, ultimately. I feel bad for some who put money in that shouldn't have, but that's also kind of part of learning. Um, so this conversation that I had with Brian, it was really impromptu. It was not planned. And, you know, I, I thought he had some good comments that he shared on, in Wall Street Journal and TechCrunch and Bloomberg about uh, his thoughts as CEO of M1 on, on the situation with Robinhood and, and other and how it impacts M1 and others. Uh, the clearinghouse is Apex as an example, what that role was. But at the end of the day, I, I really just wanted to understand from him uh, well, two things. One, I want to know, are they ever going to trade crypto? He answered that sort of kind of eventually, if it's possible, if there's ETFs, then yes. If not, we'll see uh, if that's an answer. Um, but more importantly, what is the impact of what just took place? Are we going to see it again? Probably different kind, different way. What will this do to educate retail investors? And what will this do to shore up the relationship and have Robin Hoods of the world not have this happen again. And maybe the biggest one, biggest lesson is all of us as investors opening our eyes and realizing what world we're exactly living in. And that's the genesis of the story. So this is my interview with M1 Finance CEO and founder, Brian Barnes. Yeah. So as most people are aware, there was a mania that sort of uh, happened with what was going on in a few uh, stocks in the, the overall stock market. Started with short sellers, uh, shorting more than 100% of the shares outstanding for a few securities. GameStop is, is the one of note that's getting the, the most traction, but happened in AMC and a couple others as well. There was online community that was making a fundamental case for GameStop, saying that it was undervalued, worth more, um, that they were you know sort of changing their strategy and going to be more valuable, as well as a 
realization from a lot of retail investors that there was going to be a short squeeze if they were buying the securities. And so there was a massive influx of people buying the securities. The uh, stock skyrocketed, you know, went from a billion dollar roughly market cap to $20 billion market cap, uh, at, at which point the a lot of the, the firms, due to a lot of the back end plumbing, um, had too much risk exposure and shut off access to either trading it entirely or one side of the trade. So buying it, which had short-term ramifications, likely long-term ramifications, but it has been a, a wild week, something that has not seen in the, the stock market in a very long time. Uh, and M1 is tangentially related to it. Uh, we unfortunately got access removed to buying GameStop on our customer's behalf due to our clearing firm, Apex Clearing. That being said, it has been a call to a different mindset of long-term investing versus short-term trading or you know financial entertainment of which m1 is much more geared towards the long-term investing and so uh you know it haven't haven't been as impacted as a lot of the trading firms and has sort of been able to to push our message out a little bit stronger i jokingly say on twitter um that i own enough amc now to be on the board uh it's obviously not true um but i you know i played a little bit in it i got a little late to some of it i capitalized a little bit on gamestop I'm not a person who really bets on things that I don't fully understand. And it's not that I don't understand the stock. It's not that I don't understand GameStop. It's a situation like this where there's a short squeeze going on and there's a bunch of Redditors that are essentially pushing it. And then there's this component, which obviously Robinhood has gotten into hot water and the PR lately hasn't been so great, is that I don't have control of that. I can't, I can't get out of my position, you know? And to me, like, I don't invest in things like that because I, I don't have any insight on how to control it. And I did end up putting a little money in it, but it was more just me being a capitalist and trying to like take advantage, knowing full well that if I lost it all, I, don't, I didn't care. What it did for me though, and I think this is important for this conversation, is obviously M1 is a sponsor of Technoria of me, I guess. And I have been a user of M1 for far longer than the sponsorship and I'm a huge fan. It just made me more clearly in the M1 corner but also another local fintech company that made a lot of press lately for their exit was Tra- Tastyworks, Tastytrade. And I immediately opened up a Tastyworks account and started taking classes on futures and options and things that I previously had not really been involved in because I looked at Robinhood and, and the way that things are going. I'm like, man, forget about whatever position you fall in on whether you think this is right for Redditors to do this, whether you think it's right that Robinhood and, and their affiliation with Citadel and others is the thing. It, long-term investing is about long-term positions. It's safer. It can win. Like you may miss out on some of these things. I talked to Anthony Scarmucci yesterday for my podcast and we talked all about this. This is a, a massive convergence of things that are like very 2020, 2021, like the digital revolution. I think the big result here, not the political talk, but the big end result, I think ends up being a lot about you and like, how do we, how do these apps evolve? How do they make it easier, better, safer for retail investors to be good at this and to be protected in this? And what changes do you think happen, uh, whether it's Apex or others, on how business is done on apps like whether it's M1 or Robinhood? You know, um, I think there's a couple points there. Like you hit on it where it is unfair when the rules of the change, rules of the game change halfway through. That, you know, if, if you come in with expectations of how things are going to be behaved, and someone prevents access or, or changes the rules, truthfully costs you money. You know, yeah, this has this like, it, it's completely unfair. I don't think it was due to nefarious reasons of, you know, back end collusion with uh, the hedge funds no, or, I don't either, or whatnot. By the way. It, it was either. really the, the risk in the system 
increased massively. Requirements were risen, like raised by clearing firms and some of the clearing firms didn't have the capital to support that. I think Robinhood is an indication with everything that's come out of, they did not have the capital to support the trade with the increased uh, deposits. Some did it from like risk in their own book of they were going to have to make up for all the losses. And then there was some aspect of paternalism of, you know, it was short squeeze and, you know, some like Thomas Petterfee from Interactive Brokers said we restricted access simply because we didn't think it was it was right. And so, you know, they're like a combination of reasons. I think first and foremost, it was liquidity. Second was risk to the brokerage. And then third was paternalism. Um, but I, I, I agree with I would I would be very mad if uh, I was betting on a horse at the horse track and it was winning by too much. And they said, hey, it's we need to slow it down for whatever reason. And I lost money as a result. You know, you, you can't change the, the game halfway through on the long term investing versus trading we aren't as dogmatic of black and white thinking of it has to be either or i think it just yeah. has to be positioned as knowing what you're doing and knowing what you're getting into and I, like i liken it as you know short-term trading is like eating dessert and long-term investing is you know eating healthy over long periods of time yeah. no one's gonna like get into a bad scenario by having a dessert but don't base your diet on that you know it, it, it's a like it's going to taste better in the short term short-term trading is more fun it's more engaging of course. It, like the, volatility the is fun. to make more money lose more money it, it gets the adrenaline pumping but it's not the basis for generating long-term wealth and i think it, people need to realize and acknowledge that and systematically do the less enjoyable thing and and say that what is like truthfully beneficial to long-term wealth is owning great assets that like increase in value over time and systematically deploying money into those investments as you go. That is a strategy for success. And I, I think that the, the worry is that gets lost in like fun or engagement. Like I, I have no problem if people want to go to a, you know, a casino, no one should, it's their money, but don't make that your wealth building strategy. Don't make yeah. that your income. You don't realize it is for what it is. It's entertainment, it's enjoyment. You're likely to lose money and like, be fine with with losing money for the things that matter. Have a systematic strategy that is very likely to pay off for you in the long term. I totally agree with you. Uh, here's where I will say this and then you could laugh and I know it's coming. I actually do. I don't recommend this for anybody. I'm on a hot streak. So maybe that's why I'm saying this. <laughs> I have FanDuel and points bet and DraftKings in my money folder on my phone because I'm, I'm making money. I count that as investment. I count like sports cards and anything I can flip really. Uh, as part of the investment, but like the Mooch conversation, he said when he was trying to get himself, like, this is like leading up to Skybridge. He was like, I take 15% of my disposable income and I put it in something that I know long-term is, is getting bigger and better. And I take 5% of my, you know, assuming that you're taking 20% because you're actually like interested in investing. So like the average person, maybe that's a high number, but for the people like me and you, that it's probably even more than that. Um, take 5% of the, of the 20 remaining and put it towards things that there is an off chance could go through the roof to the moon, as they're saying, but also a even higher chance that it goes to zero and it's okay. And if you have this sort of scattered out plan, you have a huge opportunity to, to be successful. And like, like I say in the newsletter and on the show, and, and obviously you say the same thing, you have to have a plan. You can't just be doing this like silly willy nilly. Like it's not, it's not going to work. You, you need to have an M1 or whatever it is you use that is playing the long game. And then whether it's fun or you're on a hot streak, you have something else that you're kind of playing with. And I think they're, they're very different things. And I think that you should have both. And, and if you don't have any appetite for the, the volatility, then really it should just be a long-term haul 
And so to me, this is, this potentially is a huge eye opener and educator for people who are like, oh, this is how it goes. It's like, no, this is not how it, it has never happened before. Yeah, for sure. No, all investing is a risk reward trade-off. And so there are things that are low risk, low reward, and there are high risk, high reward. And, you know, like people need to be comfortable with their personality and how they react and, you know, their objectives and to, to decide where to go on that. I do think, you know, Jeff Bezos has a saying, I'm not going to like, I don't, it's definitely not a quote, but you know, if there's a investment opportunity that has a 90% chance of failure, but if it wins, it can pay off hundred X. He's like, you should take that every time. The expected return is insanely high, but you're going to lose 90% of the time. And there's a big difference between that mentality of I'm taking risk, but the, the payoff is worth. And so the reward is greater than the risk versus systematically getting into something where in aggregate people lose money. And so, you know, it, it gets into like buying a lotto ticket is like low risk, high reward, but you're in aggregate, the people buying lotto tickets are going to lose money. So I don't think it's a great strategy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's sort of taking that mindset of like, take knowledgeable risk, take risk that can pay off in a decent thing that fits with your mentality, your mindset, your, your wants and needs, but don't take risk where it's almost guaranteed to lose in the, the long term with a significant portion of your wealth or your well-being. And so I think that that's maybe the, the delicate balance that um, I, I, I feel of by all means have fun, but just don't don't have the vast majority of your wealth in ultra risky situations where you can't afford to lose the money. And like in the aggregate, the entire group is going to be poorly served. This is like a, a Stanford way of saying, don't be stupid about it. <laughs> that's, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm like being half joking, but, but I do think that this all is an education. I think when you have millions of new people who came to investing daily because of work from home, whatever, you know, they talk jokes about the stimulus check. I don't actually think that's it. I think it's just have a lot of time in your hands and friends are getting rich. You think, and you get into it. There's a learning curve. And I think any investor who's been at this long enough will tell you, you probably, unless you're really lucky, will probably get burned pretty hard before you start to see returns because it takes, I don't know why this is, it's the same for startups. It takes getting your ass kicked a couple of times before you're like, oh, I get it now. Like this, it's risk aversion is, it's really just the, the breaking down of your own personal like fear. Like that's almost half of it. So I hope that this actually, I, I don't hope, I think this is going to be a huge um advantage going forward, not just for M1, but for the, the retail investors going forward, like just learning more about how to make wealth, not overnight wealth, like real no, wealth. No, for sure. And, you know, uh, we've talked about it with internally within the company of like trading versus investing are, are, are two pretty different things. And, yeah. you know, from a trading perspective, like GameStop went, you know, 1 billion to 20 billion to 6 billion. Now, I don't know where, you know, it'll, it'll yeah. likely vary. It could go up to 15, could go down to one. Ultimately, a lot of money has changed hands. A, yeah. a ton of money, people have made money on it. A ton of people have lost money on it, but it is sort of zero sum. For every winner, there is a loser and it's really just changing hands. Versus if you take the investing mindset, you're okay with ownership. You're actually buying the underlying thing. It's not just a thing that's changing in price at any given time. It's not, you know, three tickers. And it, it's, you would be fine if you don't get a price quote for five years, if you couldn't sell for five years, because you actually own the thing. And I think that's that's a little bit of the difference of, you know, are you buying ownership and having the value of the ownership accrue over long periods of time? And that doesn't have to be zero sum. You don't have to have someone lose to gain money. If the fundamental thing underlying that investment 
becomes more valuable over time, it's positive sum. The owners benefit not at the detriment of everyone versus trading it, it's zero sum and you just, you have to be on the right side of it. And ultimately there's a the middle person in the thing taking their rake and typically they're the ones who make the most money. You know, everyone in the aggregate loses and whoever facilitates the trades is, are the ones that make the money. Uh, the thing that is particularly funny about this to me is all of the investors that just did this, whether they, well, let's assume the winners, when they get their tax bill and they find out the difference between investing via trading and investing long-term, there's a big difference. And I think that's going to be yet another educational component of this. And then the other thing I just want to say before we move on to the kind of little catch up on M1 here, one thing that I had a conversation with several people who were kind of new to Robinhood, they didn't understand the difference. You were talking earlier about the different set of rules, perhaps. And I think part of this is that they don't realize that they're not operating at the same position as like an institutional investor. They're not Citadel. Like they're not, me on Robinhood, I'm not getting the best price on the stock. Like that's not how that, like, and I think when you have a fundamental misunderstanding of the app, because you're new to this and you're like, oh, I'm buying the stock at this price. It's like, well, kind of, sort of, uh, you're buying like the right to get it. And it, it, there's a very big difference there. I don't know if you have thoughts on the clarity on that, because I think, I think that's one part where people had an assumption that they could trade no matter what, and there's nothing else that could go wrong. But if fundamentally you didn't understand how the trade occurred, you went into this not realizing that this potentially unlikely, but potentially could happen. And of course it did. Yeah. You know, um, we, we, I unfortunately probably know too much of the backend plumbing of the, the brokerage and the finance system. I, and I, I, would I, don't, I don't know if it's the most interesting topic, but broadly speaking, you know, there, there's a lot of centralized bodies that do the facilitation of clearing of trades. And so they settle, you know, who are the buyers, who are the sellers, do the transaction of money. And oftentimes they have to put up a little bit of collateral to sort of say, hey, if anything goes bad, we take the losses. In times of insane risk, they just have to put up a lot more because there's a chance that people on the other side go bankrupt and aren't able to, to pay. And so, you know, that that's it in a nutshell. I, I like, don't think that the average person should have to know the underlying financial system and the, the risks associated with it. Like if they go to a firm that says that they can, you know, trade any time for any amount, like th that's a reasonable assumption that you should do that. And the, it's, it's, a, it's upon the company to support that. And so cutting off access is breaking your end of the promise. And when you're dealing with people's money, it it's has big, big ramifications. You know, it, it's like, it's not a like oopsie. It's a oopsie that costs you 10, hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is like real mistakes. And so, you know, I, I think there's a higher bar to, to be associated with that, especially when you're sort of encouraging the behavior that you're, you're trying to support that, you know, like if, if you are a trading app encouraging frequent trading, option trading, um, and the like, you should be able to support that in many different macro environments. And I think that this is no different. And, you know, like M1 is, is quite a different application. We talk about systematic long-term investing, and that is our, our promise to our user of we're going to deliver the best product for personalized financial automation for a systematic long-term uh, wealth creation mindset. We are a bad trading platform. Like we, you know, if you yeah. want to use us for that, like we're just not good. And I think we ran that ad last week. Yeah, M1, yeah, the bad trading tools, platform. Yeah, exactly. Uh, other tools that are, are great for that. But I do think, you know, it, with that, it's incumbent upon us to be able to deliver that product in, in any macro environment as well. I could not agree with you more. And it's one of the reasons that I've been such a big fan of M1. But this is the last thing I want to say on this. Maybe I'm too close to the sun. With Facebook, this is kind of what was going on. 
Like they have data, they're using data, they're using it in ways that you don't really know. You should know, you should assume you're the product. We're endorsing you to go and share everything under the sun. We're using it in ways that you probably don't know. Some are nefarious, some are not. Robinhood to me and any of these platforms, I don't expect people to understand the what's going on, how the sausage is made. But I do think that I assume when I'm a customer that I'm just assuming I'm not trading on the same exact platform and rights as the big boys. And with that, when the shit hits a fan, I am the first one out. When things go south, Facebook turns stuff off for me, the small business owner using the platform, not for Disney. I assume that. And so I, I, when I look at it, I think like when things go bad, people do bad things. And I don't even mean bad in, in the evil sense here. I mean, just like bad decision. And in this particular case, I do think that it is on the customer, the user to, it. you know, I love that they can assume the good goodness like you presented it. I, but I also think you need to, you should know where you are in the game. And I don't know. I, I, like I said, it's like Facebook. I just feel like it's like, ah, I kind of assumed. I think there's, yeah, delicate balance to be, drawn like with with all of these firms and you know the the amount that they provide to the user versus monetize off the user and 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 you know i think like apple is a good indication yes. of, they've taken a stance of they're giving up money by not having some of their advertising due to, to privacy concerns and i think you know it's one of those things every brand is every single interaction is a, a promise that they're making with their customer they're building trust and when you break that trust it's probably going to be hard to to build back up but it, it's ultimately for the customer to decide. You know, I, I, I think like day in, day out, all these companies are going to behave how they're going to behave. They're going to be transparent. And I, I, I like my want for as just a general consumer is companies to be honest. I'm saying like, here's what we do. Here's what we don't do. Here's how we use the information. And I think like where the, the world rightfully gets upset is when they speak out of one side of their mouth saying they're doing one thing and then their actions are counter to that. And so, you know, I think that's, that's a decision that like every customer is going to have to make with every good or service that they, they provide, but um, it's not, not an easy uh, needle to thread with like the, the best way to serve all constituents with your user base, the product, the company, the employee base and the like, and the user experience over long periods of time will, will really dictate that. I took my money out of AMC and put it in any public companies that handle fintech crisis management and head of communications. <laughs> and that was a guarantee that that was going to be selling. A lot of new positions opening up. Um, I appreciate all of this, all this feedback. I have only one question for you, and this is coming from the community of people uh, who send me messages daily about M1. They want to know, the people want to know, is there going to be an ability to invest in Bitcoin or any of those things on your platform anytime in the foreseeable future? Um, foreseeable future, you know, short term, three to six months, unfortunately not. It's something that we'll we go longer. Are, Let's say like a yeah, year and change. Ultimately, we, we want to support any investment type that people want to do. And so, you know, we, we have a, the, the three pillars of M1, M1 invest, M1 borrow, and M1 spend. Uh, M1 invest, our principle is, is your money should be backed by whatever investments you want in exact proportion to what you want for free. And so that's on the user to decide, you know, the portfolio that they want to, to create. On the borrow side, it's you should be able to borrow at the lowest rate and most flexible terms. We have our current product that facilitates that and we'll continue to add additional borrowing options to, to make it low cost, very flexible. And then spend, you should be able to have liquidity and spend your money as you see fit in any way possible. And so we will continue to, to add products and features and functionality across each of those. And, and M1 will be a very robust, personalized financial automation platform. That's a great answer. You don't need any head of communications. You're good. You're solid. <laughs> I appreciate it. You're solid. Uh, and then personally, my last wing is uh, 
the, the other question that I think some people get is on custodial funds. There's a lot of interest now with people who didn't previously invest and didn't have control of their own money, who have kids, myself included, who are thinking, oh, what a great way to get my kids involved early so I don't make the same mistakes. Yep. So this is actually something that we just released. And so we do have uh, custodial accounts. And so you can sign up any kid, deposit the account and the like. Um, it is for plus members. And so that's our annual subscription free, which is similar to, you know, an Amazon Prime S model. That being said, we are offering plus for uh, free for a year. And so people can sign up for that and, and open up their custodial accounts and manage it for their kids. Awesome. As always, anyone listening to this show, you can find anything you want about M1 by just going to sign up for our newsletter, katoon.substack.com. Follow me at Katoon on Twitter. I talk about this stuff all the time. Brian, thank you so much for coming on and clearing some of these things up. Uh, I'm rooting for the Bitcoin to be added. That's the one thing I'm still <laughs> hanging out on. We, we thought by now a Bitcoin ETF would be available. So that's, that's how I we did too. That's true. Yeah, that makes sense. Into it, but uh, yeah. you know, such is life. But thanks for yeah. having me on. It was great Soon to enough. talk. Thanks, Brian. If you're interested in self-directed investing from startups to crypto and public markets, my Substack is a great way to learn how professional investors screen, review, and pull the trigger on deals. Join the largest community of micro-investors and startup founders on Substack by going to katoon.com.